0: Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. I'm Kayla, your host. I'm Kristen, your co host. What's poppin'? And welcome back to another episode of Black Shoot Crime. We're here. We are here and we're excited for today's episode. But before we start today's episode, we have a couple announcements today. Period. Yeah, we don't usually do announcements, but we got some stuff that we want to share with you. First, Confession episode number seven is available now to everyone. A lot of people have already watched it, but I want everyone to be able to watch it and it's on YouTube. So all you have to do is click on the link in our bio on one of our um social media platforms or just visit youtube.com slash C slash Black True Crime Podcast. Second announcement for today, we are now accepting advertisements from you guys. So if you guys have like a small business that you want to advertise on black True crime to our audience you can totally hit us up and uh, we can talk about that you can go to black and just cl- click on the advertise tab for more information period get your name out on a platform that you already support that you already love and we will support you in return mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so now that we got all the other shit out of the way let's start the episode In 1961, a young girl was born into a family that would never truly love her. She had to raise her own young siblings while trying to figure out where they'd get their next meal. You're probably empathizing with that little girl right now, but would you feel the same way if she grew up to be a cold-blooded murderer? Join us as we discuss her cruel crimes and the childhood that created the criminal named Celeste Carrington. Mm. Mm. Hmm. not going to lie, I love her name. What can I say? Um, it sounds like a stage name for sure. It doesn't sound like something that she was given. Right. But definitely sounds like she was destined to be on my TV screen doing something or something. Or but destined she- to be wealthy. Yeah, yeah. Like she sounds it. like a what woman, to be fair. Like mm-hmm. an old English what woman. Mm-hmm. Celeste Simone Carrington was born in 1961 in a bad part of Philly. I couldn't find her birth date anywhere, even on her inmate records, which makes no sense to me. Um, but yeah, she grew up in Philly for the most part. And Kristen, what happened in history, well, black history in 1961? Okay, guys, so we're back in the U.S. Picture this. 1961, specifically May 4th. I already kind of told you guys about this last week, but this was the beginning when seven black people and four white people left D.C. for the Deep <laughs> South mm. on the first freedom ride for the Congress of Racial Equality. So last week we kind of talked about what happened in 1965. We spent just a bit on it because I really want to spend a lot on world um, black history. But mm-hmm. yes, this was the first Freedom ride mm. that the core actually went on from DC to the Deep South. Also, what happened in 1961? Riots on the campus of University of Georgia. Uh, apparently there were some segregationists who did mm. not want two black students, Hamilton Holmes and Charlene Hunter, to enroll at the institution. Fortunately, and this was in September, of 1961 fortunately they failed the Mm -hmm. riots did not prevent mr hamilton holmes and mrs Charlene hunter from enrolling at the university of georgia yay hooray and that's what i have today oh okay cool something short Mm -hmm. and sweet Mm -hmm. well thank you for that so according to one of celeste's neighbors she was the eldest of her siblings i don't know how many siblings she had and she was responsible for taking care of them when her mother would go MIA, which happened a lot. And sometimes they would even get locked out of their house and just mm. kind of have to figure out what the fuck they were going to do. Sometimes they would just walk over to a neighbor's house and stay with them. Um, neighbors said that Celeste would often walk over to their home and ask them for food because they wouldn't have anything at the house to eat, which is really sad. Could you imagine having to like hustle just for like a bowl of cereal? It sucks. As a kid. It's just sad. The same neighbor said that through a shared wall, they could hear Celeste being beaten by her mother. A cousin that lived with them for two years said that Celeste's mom was rarely ever there and that they only saw the dad twice. Like they lived there for two years and they saw that man twice. Wow. So we know he was completely useless. When the parents were home, they abused the children physically and we do know that Celeste was sexually abused by her father from the age of seven to at least 14. Disgusting. And just bottom of the barrel disgusting. And he even impregnated her when she was 14. Um, But she received an abortion. So she didn't have the baby, which makes me think that her mother may have known that the sexual abuse was going on. Because being that young, she probably didn't go to a clinic herself, like alone you know yeah. so her mother was probably aware which just makes this even more foul yeah because like you have to pay for services like that oh so yeah it's not covered in no health insurance so Mm-mm. somebody paid Mm-hmm. her mom's filthy yeah she's a fucking low down dog asshole people that knew ar- knew her around this time said that she became extremely withdrawn and distant Thankfully, she managed to graduate high school still and decided to head to California where she attended community college. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she she really was like, I'm not going to let this define me. Let me get the fuck up out of Philly and do something with my life. And she went all the way on the other side of the United States to do it. As far as she possibly could without buying a passport. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Correct. She apparently excelled at track and field, too, okay. and she competed internationally in the shot put event. Okay, Celeste, let's Mia's, go. Me and Celeste have something in common. I was about to say, I we also have a, a track and field star, a former one, right here to the left of me. Or oh, whatever, you know. If I was mentally strong enough, I probably would have stayed doing it, but I was not. There were a lot of factors in play, but you did great. (laughs) That's a story for another time. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find information about whether she graduated college or not, but I do know that, but I do know that Celeste stayed out of trouble for most of her early life. She was living with her partner, Jackie, and Jackie's three kids in East Palo Alto. Which is like mm-hmm. an area in California. Until December of 1991, when Celeste was 30, she was fired from her job as a janitor because who, honestly, who knows? I think it was because she was stealing, oh, no. but I could, but I couldn't really find it. But after she got fired, she decided to rob the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she kept a set of keys to the building after she left, and later used them to enter the building and steal checks, like. Either this is her first time stealing the checks or she's went back to steal more checks. But- Vengeance is mine, Celeste said. Celeste, let me tell you something, though. No. I'm not fucking with you right now. <laughs> you can be stealing for your place of work. Like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> She was deeply depressed after losing her job. She was receiving extreme pressure from her partner Jackie to provide for all of them because literally it's four mouths, she No, five in total that she has to feed. And these kids aren't even hers. Could you imagine? And it was just all of it was just taking a huge toll on Celeste. She wasn't as cheerful as she used to be. She began to gain a lot of weight and stopped interacting with like people in her neighborhood and just interacted more with her couch at home Mm -hmm. and people apparently like really noticed her in the neighborhood she was a nice person she was a talker kind of flamboyant and just that type of neighborhood person yeah hello and welcome to the unofficial official story my name is koji and i am the expert in quotes of course Yes, and I'm Dwayne, the funny cynic. And I'm Jennifer, the curious one. In each episode, we're going to take a look at the paranormal, conspiracies, unexplained phenomena, cryptids, and even true crime. This season, we'll be covering a diverse range of topics from Bigfoot, 9-11, Roswell, disembodied feet, the connection between the CIA, Contra's crack and gangs, and even fun topics like, did Babe Ruth really call his shot? Subscribe to the unofficial official story wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Then Celeste decided that instead of getting a job, she was just going to rob more places that she previously cleaned floor. for. <laughs> Celeste, who do you think you are? Well, the thing is, it seems like Celeste can get a job hella easily. I don't know if she was like with a cleaning service, like a f- company that just, you know, outsourced or con- were contracted by other businesses or she just worked for these businesses, but she had a few that she could choose from. But the thing is, like, well, why are you stealing? Why don't you just go get another job? Maybe she was just like, I ain't got time. These people don't pay me. They don't treat me right. I'm sick of it. I mean, fast money, honey. That's what people want. Mm. So using keys that she had stolen or just duplicated, she started out in Los Altos, where in one night she burglarized Blacker Designs and NDN Enterprises and stole checks from them both. About a week later, on January seventeenth, nineteen ninety-two, Celeste broke into the broke into a Dodge dealership and stole a 357 Magnum revolver and Uh-oh. five bullets. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. She said she knew that the building's back door was often left open, so she put her gloves on and used a crowbar to force the doors open. So she brought a crowbar with her and these gloves with her. And just literally <laughs> Broken and stole stuff at that. Celeste was peeping game the entire time she was out in the streets working. She mm. was paying attention. I mean, she was thinking of how they could pay her outside of paying her. <laughs> like she was straight bi-weekly rotten. check that she was already fucking getting. <laughs> Why did a thought in my mind just come in my mind? What is more deplorable? Robbery or selling drugs, in your opinion? Robbery. Uh, that was the quickest answer I could have <laughs> given you. <laughs> like, br- robbery, miss. Thank so, you. So, so taking something from someone is more deplorable than giving something to someone that could potentially cause them to be an addict, poor, all of these things. Yeah, because I feel like robbery is a situation, it's a, it's a violent crime. Selling drugs is not a violent crime. Mm. So. But it could lead to violence. But I, Let's I, I'm, all that. I would say I'm not I responsible why, for that. I don't know why I'm playing devil's advocate. I believe robbery's worse as well. Yes. But hey, you can still ask. People may feel different. What do you guys think? Yeah, what do you guys think? So whether it was because of the desperate situation Celeste was in or a secret like morbid desire to kill, just nine days after the robbery, Celeste would use that 357 Magnum to end her first life. Well, the first one that we know of. Mm -mm. Because you know people are always doing some side shit. And, and law, enforcement, for. law enforcement like finds out 10% of what you actually done. Mm-hmm. On January 26th, 1992, Celeste borrowed a neighbor's car and drove to the San Carlos Shoe Factory, one of the places she'd worked at before. Since she kept a key to the place, she used that key to enter the building. Almost immediately, she set off the alarm, which alerted 34-year-old Victor Esparza, who was the janitor of the building at the time. So Victor came out. He's like, what the fuck is going on? And when he saw Celeste, she said she was working and must have just accidentally set the alarm off. And at first, Victor was like, pleased by this answer. He's like, okay, that's probable. Well, can you just call the building manager and get the alarm turned off? Mm -hmm. So when that was said, Celeste kind of, I think she panicked. And she just pulled out the 357 and demanded that Victor give her his money. So, he gave her $45 that he had in cash and then his ATM card and his PIN number. Dang. Yeah. And as he was literally, like, walking, I think he was walking out of a cubicle, she shot him. I just shot him once in the head. No. Yeah. Yeah. From just six inches away. He gave you everything you needed. Why are you shooting him? Yeah. and you shooting your own kind? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Gone. Well, your own janitorial community like i don't bang with that <laughs> i was about to say what he knows the struggle just as much as she does why does she shoot him unnecessary and then you stealing from a janitor you know he don't make no okay well because she's a heartless warm corpse that's the only that is what she is peter benson a forensic pathologist concluded that the angle of the gunshot wound suggested that the victim would have either been shot while kneeling and looking up at the shooter, or while standing. But Celia Hartnett, a criminalist from the San San Mateo County Sheriff's Laboratory, who not only saw the body at the scene, but she also saw the evidence around it, so the pools of blood on the carpet, his clothes, and like a forehead abrasion that he had, and she concluded that he probably was on his knees when he was shot, and his arms raised in like a defensive position. And like, because of, I guess, him being on his knees and the blow, he like fell forward and got that abrasion on his face, on his forehead. Poor Victor. Celeste would later say that the killing gave her a great, fulfilling feeling and that it made her feel powerful. Like the sick fuck she is. The ATM pin number that Victor wrote down was incorrect. So Celeste didn't even get any more money than the $45 he gave her. That's what you get. So she killed someone for $45. Stupid. She was going to do it regardless, I have a feeling. Yeah, I I feel like if she, if he was vacuuming too loud while she was still in there, she probably would have pulled the trigger. She was just looking for a reason, I think, to be this piece of shit that she is. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure why, but Celeste was quiet for the next maybe like two months. I'm thinking she may have just hit a really good lucrative lick and just didn't need to rob for a while, but- That changed on March 11th. Celeste apparently needed money again, so she decided to visit a real estate office in Palo Alto. She, like the other robberies, had a key to the building to use to gain access. Kayla, she had to have been working for a company. Because I'm (laughs) like, how does she have all these keys? That's what I'm thinking. And I also think it's back in, this is like what, 1992,
1: 1991?
0: so. I I do think that maybe things were just really lax back then. People didn't really have much of a security concern. So maybe they were just really lax in that area. I guess. So. But if I fire somebody and they still have the keys to the establishments that I'm giving people to work at, like mm-hmm. that's a liability, period. I think that once you fire someone that's had a previous key, you change the locks. Because period. sometimes she just duplicated the key. It wasn't the original. So- Yeah, they could be avoided for sure. And this time, her neighbor actually dropped her off instead of just letting her borrow the car. So right there, there's another, like, witness. Celeste brought a pair of gloves, a screwdriver, and the same gun with her. When she went to unlock the door, the key wouldn't work, so she watched the building from outside and saw two janitors working inside. I don't like calling them janitors. I feel like they're just custodians, maybe? That's nicer. Or, like, uh, cleaning crew. You know, because a lot of offices that I've worked in, that we call them the cleaning crew. You know, yeah, not fucking janitor. housekeeping, housekeeping. That's cute, office keeping. So yeah, there were two custodians working inside. She waited until they left and used the screwdriver to force her way into the door. I would love to see how the fuck she did that. <laughs> she searched the building for money, but she didn't find any. But then she saw real estate property manager Carolyn Gleason who was still working and in the copy room. Celeste approached Carolyn and she said she didn't want to kill her. Like, she told Carolyn, I don't want to kill you. But then she got nervous and just pulled the trigger and shot her. One time in the head. Ugh. And then she has aim. Unless she's just, like, super close. She she is. She's very close to these people. Disrespect. Before fleeing the scene, Celeste took $400 and some keys from Carolyn's desk. The keys were keys to Carolyn's car, which she found in the parking lot. And in the car, she found Carolyn's ATM card and her PIN number. Yeah, it's nineteen ninety one. You know, okay. give him some, give him some slack. She probably wrote it down because she was going to forget. That's something I would do. Celeste then drove Carolyn's car to a bank, but couldn't withdraw the money for some reason. So she went to an ATM at a Seven Eleven and withdrew two hundred dollars, and then another one hundred dollars. She then dumped the car in a hospital parking lot and took a taxi home. Carolyn was only 36 years old when she died, and her murder was the first murder in Palo Alto that year. Wow. Rest in peace, Carolyn. Rest in peace. The most frustrating thing about this case was, one, there was no almost next to no pictures available, even of Celeste. I couldn't find really any pictures of her and the victims. Carolyn Mm. Gleason, I have no pictures of her. Um Victor. I have no pictures of him. I'm just like, where are all the pictures? Right. Because this is like low-key recent. I mean, these yeah. pictures are in color. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where are they? <laughs> where are the pictures? Yeah. I'm not really sure. But all I know is that Carolyn was married when at the time of her death. And I'm sad for her. And I'm sad for Victor. Because they both didn't deserve this. They were just fucking working. And then bam, you know? Yeah, not cool. Not cool at all. Five days later, on March 16th, Celeste showed up at a medical office with a pair of gloves and the 357 Magnum. The outside doors were not locked when she got there at 530, so she was able to like walk into those, but she found out her key didn't unlock the inside door. So she just had to wait, and she was apparently... I read that she was irritated by this, but clearly not irritated enough to take her ass the fuck home because she waited for hours until everybody left. Well, at least until she thought everybody left. Mm. The resolve. Mm-hmm. As soon as she decided to leave the closet she was hiding in, she saw Dr. Alan Marks leaving his office after a late night appointment. Celeste pulled out the gun, and according to her, Dr. Mark's, quote, went crazy, and they started fighting over the gun. During the scuffle, he was shot twice, being hit in his left thumb, left shoulder, and right arm. So I read that he was shot twice somewhere, but I also read that he was shot three times. Mm
1: -hmm. So I'm going
0: to go with three times because, remember, Victor got shot once, Carolyn got shot once, and she had three bullets left. So she probably used all three of them on Homeboy. Okay. He ran to his office, locked the door, and called police while Celeste stole some billing access cards and prescription drugs before she fled the scene. Wow. Yeah. So that was Celeste's description of what happened. Dr. Mark's testimony, because yes, he did end up testifying against her dusty ass in court, (laughs) he said he was about to leave his office when he saw Celeste barreling through the doors, pushing him off to the side. So she was like already coming through his door. Mm-hmm. He said he recognized her as a former janitor and began screaming and waving his hands. Celeste was standing about three feet away from him when she pulled out the gun and pointed it at his upper body. And then he says he heard gunshots. After being shot, he collapsed to his knees and Celeste just ran out of the office. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He said he closed his door behind her and called 911. So I think in her scenario she was trying to kind of make it seem like okay now i accidentally may have shot him because we were scuffling over Uh the gun but in his he's like no that bitch planned to do exactly what she did to me but he did she didn't kill him which makes me wonder why well she didn't kill him because i think she shot him she used all the guns in her bullet or all All the the bullets. bullets in her gun so she wasn't able to ensure that he was dead hmm thankfully well As you guys know, he was able to survive (laughs) and he gave a full description of his attacker to police. So you may be wondering if police are on her ass at all at this point, at this point, because she's been robbing, breaking into establishments, you know, shot three people, killed two, where the fuck the police at? Right. So remember how she'd been stealing those checks? Well, she gave one of her checks from Blackard Designs to a friend named Christopher last name not important, can't pronounce it, by. And she gave it to him to cash for her. Chris was arrested in the process of this and told police that he got the check from Celeste. So okay. he's like, bitch, I'm about to go down for you. Period. This is where I got it. And i not it. even real friends. No. <laughs> <laughs> bitch, you try to set me up, like at mm-hmm. the very least. He then agreed to place a recorded phone call to Celeste where she actually admitted to stealing the check. So at that point police knew they had enough for at least a warrant to search Celeste's home. And they got it. The warrant stated that the police would be looking for stolen keys, checks and just stuff relating to the robberies. Mm-hmm. Los Altos and Palo Alto police helped issue this warrant and Celeste was arrested after they arrived. So they arrested her for the robberies when they pu- when they pulled up. Okay. And she was taken to Redwood City Police Station. So these details are important. I'm slowing down when I'm talking about them because they're going to come to play later. Okay. Almost instantly, they found, in plain view, evidence of Celeste's involvement in Carolyn Gleason's murder. Uh Uh-oh. So they're just on her for robberies. And now that they see, oh, bitch, like you're involved in something else. Mm Mm-hmm. They specifically found Carolyn's pager and keys to the building that she worked at. They also found keys to the Dodge dealership. Remember, that's where she stole the gun from. Mm-hmm. Carolyn's purse. They found Carolyn's petty cash box. And they found a doctor's drug kit from um, Dr. Alan Mark's office. And then they found the fucking gun. Perfect. They have everything they need. Lock her ass up. Goodbye. Throw away the key. Nothing else to be said. After that, the search was suspended and the premises were secured until the Palo Alto investigators could obtain a warrant to search for evidence in their case. So, Carolyn was killed in Palo Alto. Okay. The, war- the warrant that they have right now to search her home is for Los Alto mm. County. And it, so they can't continue to search because now it's a totally different situation that they're searching for. Okay. At this point, Celeste has been taken to Redwood, Redwood City and is being questioned by police. She waived her Miranda rights, and when confronted with some of the evidence that they'd already found in her home, she eventually confessed to murdering Carolyn Gleason. And a few hours after that, she confessed to killing Victor Esparza and shooting Alan Marks. Great. So, you know, it's not too complicated at this point. Pretty Don't. straightforward. Mm-hmm. She's been caught. We're happy. It doesn't seem like she put up that much of a fight either, which is kind of su- surprising to me. But when you think about all the evidence that they probably threw in her face, like, bitch, we got the gun. You know, the, she's probably like, okay, I got it. Like, what can know, I say? At what this can point? I, what can I really do now? <laughs> Cause I'll start looking hella crazy when they're like, bitch, like, Glen, <laughs> Glenn, Glenn, <laughs> I see you. What are you doing? <laughs> They'll just put the gun on the table. It's evident.
1: We, we found, found it in, in house. your house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it has your fingerprints on it. <laughs> bitch, you're done. <laughs> we have a witness. We have a witness. You left someone alive. Are you stupid? <laughs> you failed. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> Cracking up. <laughs> okay, where the fuck were we? Okay, so now this bitch is going to trial and you guys know one of my favorite parts of doing any of this is the defense I like Mm. to figure out what the fuck the defense is going to do with this harlot of a woman in her case
1: so her defense
0: yeah fuck her I mean what other words can you use besides like the c word to really describe a disgusting woman and I don't like the c word so I don't even want to fucking go there I feel like a whore is worse than a harlot you whore you I think Harlot's worse. I feel like Harlot girl, I used to watch Harlots and I loved every single person on that show. So Well, it's they were Harlots. Yeah. <laughs> I would <laughs> never call them whores. I'm about to say they wouldn't like the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So her defense team basically wanted the entire case thrown the fuck out. So walk with me, Kristen. Hold my hand and walk down this road with me. I'm trying. They believed that all the evidence collected from Celeste's house was collected during an illegal raid. So that's what they called the little search, you know, warrant, whatever. They had a warrant. Yeah, but they claimed that the whole thing was illegal, which means that when the investigators confronted Celeste with the evidence that they found, which led to her confession, they illegally coerced a confession out of her. They said at the very least, her confession was obtained under duress duress, 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 which impeded on her rights. I'm not understanding how this is illegal. <laughs> I'm not understanding how she was under duress. Make it make sense. But the court straight up dismissed that shit. So right. we don't even have to... <laughs> delve into that until later good but Uh, yeah (laughs) wait wait, what yeah 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 they did say that they were not fucking with that at all because even if the search was illegal she still admitted to shooting people Mm -hmm. after robbing them so i don't know it it, mm, but it wasn't so period the prosecution basically felt like they had the case in the bag because of obviously all the solid evidence they had And they didn't spare Celeste at all. They made sure the court knew that she'd previously tried to escape from where she was being held in the county jail. She was snitched on by a fellow inmate named Cindy Kashmiri, and she told a sheriff's deputy on a recorded line that Celeste asked her for a metal knife. So Cindy was working in the kitchen at the time, and she had access to these knives. So instead of giving her a metal one, because... I don't think she had access to it. She gave her a hard plastic knife that was only used by jail staff. Mm. So wasn't accessible, you know, wasn't given to inmates on the regular. And she also asked for a piece of aluminum foil and Cindy gave her both. When Cindy gave Celeste a knife, she made a comment about the officers not carrying guns to which Celeste replied, quote, well, I can always take one of the inmates up to the counter where the deputies are and ask for the scissors to cut their hair. Cindy took this as, and so did I, took this as, bitch, I'm gonna like threaten somebody's life. Hello, duh. Plotting, clearly. Take, take these scissors, hold it to someone's neck, and convince them, or threaten them to take me out of here. Right, because that's what you would do with a gun. Exactly, because that's what the fuck she'd been doing. hmm Cindy felt like after she realized this, she felt like she needed to report the incident. So, you know, nobody would get hurt. Mm. Bitch, yeah, right, you want a leniency. You want some time off? I was say you want some time off. Period. You ain't playing me, ho. <laughs> she later told the same story to an assistant to the DA, but when the trial came and she was put on the stand to testify, Cindy denied ever being acquainted with Celeste and said that she did not recall her past statements. <laughs> She's such a weak person. Yeah, Cindy. Cindy, we we realize that you may have been threatened. And your life may have been in danger. But then, bitch, you shouldn't have said nothing anyway. You knew who was you were dealing say, with. don't give her that because she knew who she was dealing <laughs> with when she gave her the knife, the aluminum foil, and scissors talk. She knew who she was dealing with. <laughs> so don't. No, I'm not going to do it. The prosecution, though, still decided to play her taped interviews <laughs> with the deputy. <laughs> like, bitch, we got you on tape, hoe. You may have amnesia, but this film don't. <laughs> Put your dumb ass. <laughs> oh, what do people be doing, child? They don't be to report everything. Mm-hmm. Now the defense wanted to focus on mitigating factors. So they brought Dr. Myla Young, who is a clinical psychologist, to testify about Celeste's childhood and its effects on her decision making as an adult. So Dr. Young said, although Celeste's IQ was average, her examinations of Celeste disclosed evidence of a brain abnormality and learning disorders. Mm. She couldn't identify the exact cause of the abnormality. It could have been like genetic or from trauma or illness, but she didn't know. Either way, Dr. Young said the abnormality affected the left side of Celeste's brain, which interfered with her ability to see the bigger picture. Hmm. Mm. The bigger picture of what? I was about to say, you can interpret that how you want to. I'm thinking the bigger picture as in "Mm, my consequences for this action that I'm about to do may not make the action worth it anymore. Right. So I think she's saying that Celeste just doesn't really have the ability to do that like a normal person has. Well, I feel like when you say she can't see or she doesn't have the ability to see the bigger picture, you're leaving a lot of ambiguity there. Like, and you're doing that on purpose. It makes me feel like this is the, well, when defense experts come and speak, I don't listen, I truly don't listen to anything they fucking say half the time because I just feel like, they don't do it out of the kindness of their heart. They do it because they've been sent an invoice and a fucking payment link and a wire transfer and they've been fucking mm. paid and then they showed up in court, you know? Mm. So it's not, you don't really get unbiased opinions, in my opinion, too often from defense esper- experts. The bigger picture. Girl, people have been murdered. Like, <laughs> I need you to be a little people more are clear dead with what, what you're saying. Period. You said the vaguest thing I can think of. The bigger picture. Are you joking? <laughs> Define that for me here in the courtroom. Like as a reason to possibly be a mitigating factor for someone killing other people. Just no. It's not going to Killing gonna fly and here. robbing, robbing and killing. You know, it's not going to fly here. The doctor was also able to diagnose Celeste with current and longstanding depression and bipolar disorder. Okay, well so so that's probably I do, warranted. I was about to say that does sound like it has some merit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not completely baseless because she did struggle with emotional, you know, issues when she was young too. Right. This, however, did not help Celeste's case, and on June sixteenth, nineteen ninety four, after deliberating for only one day, the jury found Celeste Simone Carrington guilty of fourteen different charges. Whoa. Yeah, so two of them were the murder of Victor and Caroline. One was the attempted murder of Alan Marks, and then the other ones were just like weapons charges, you know, robbery charges, things mm-hmm. like that. So because her crimes included special circumstances like premeditation and the murdering of more than one person, Celeste was eligible for the death penalty. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So this is Callie. You know when Callie, they'll put your ass on a slab real quick. And that's oh. what they tr- <laughs> that's what they're about to try to do with her. During the penalty phase, which is when the court determines what the sentence of the guilty party will be, Celeste's defense tried to lobby for leniency because of the abuse she experienced as a child. And, you know, I can understand the abuse. She went through some horrible things that no one should ever go through. Right. However, that does not mean that she has to go out and kill people. Plus, I feel like they would have more leeway in asking for leniency if Celeste's murder victims were someone that were, that were male or, yeah. you know, symbolize her hatred for men because of what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Not just any and everybody. You don't just get off the hook just because you went through some stuff. We've all been through some stuff. Not saying that her stuff was any better or worse than right. anybody else, but. Right. I think it would make more sense if her victims had to do with her actual pain that she went through. Correct. But I'm almost positive hearing from the victims' families made the biggest difference. The The jury got to hear from Victor's sister and aunt, who he was living with at the time of his death. His parents spoke at the hearing. Another sister and his brother also testified. And they just basically told the court about how much, you know, their lives have changed since they lost Victor. And, you know, the impact that Celeste's choices have had on them. Fucking trash bag, bitch. The court heard from Carolyn's brother-in-law as well, saying that her death had blown a hole through their family and Mm -hmm. had really destroyed his brother, who was Carolyn's husband. And at the time of the trial, Carolyn's mother was deceased and her dad was hospitalized with health issues. Wow. Yeah, so it was... Just a a terrible time for literally everyone involved in this situation. I didn't see anything about Alan, but thankfully he's still alive. So he was there to speak on his own behalf. And I'm sure he was lobbying for the death penalty too. On August 2nd, after deliberating for only two and a half hours, the jury sentenced Celeste to death. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. And on November 23rd, 1994, the judge confirmed the sentence. So that's her situation.
1: She's wow. got to take
0: it, land down. And I- Celeste became the first Northern California woman sentenced to death since 1941. Wow. This kind of surprises me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Because with only two victims that were actually murdered and then another mm-hmm. one attempted and she was sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've heard something that intense and that just straight to the point. Straight to the... Yeah. But also... I don't want to judge, but if you see the pictures of Celeste, she looks like this is something that she will make a career out of. If you ever let her ass out again, she will do it again. I was just going to ask you, do you think her appearance had anything to do with her sentencing? Great question. I think it did. I think her appearance is very intimidating and it makes you feel like. Bitch, as a grown man, she could lay my ass out, you know? <laughs> so so I wouldn't be surprised if that jury took one look at her and said, oh, hell no. Like, I'm sitting her down the road. Because even if we lock her up for life, she's going to kill in, in there, in the she's, prison. <laughs> she's going to continue to do this. She's so, already plotting. Yeah. Even hearing that she tried to escape. They're like, oh, this bitch tried to escape? No. Like, we need to make sure she never sees the light of day. Wow. That's kind of, like, sucks. Like, Mm -hmm. that's that's one of those things where it's, like, you can understand, but it also is, like, is this ethical? But also, you have to realize that when it comes to robbery and, like, burglaries and stuff like that, those are violent crimes. So, when you rob and you kill, that's already coupled together. And I guess California's death penalty requirements are pretty lax because, (laughs) you know, all you have to do is kill more than one person. Yeah. and possibly premeditate at least one of them and bitch you're eligible for the death penalty yeah you're up for the for the noose period yeah 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 so don't come out here and do all that shit i was gonna say she looks like cookie monster but i think i tried cookie monster kristen i was about to say you slapped cookie monster directly in the mouth the disrespect (laughs) (laughs) maybe she looks like the dino baby from that (laughs) dinosaur that's more accurate I'll take Charles Barkley. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I shouldn't have started us down this rabbit hole. <coughs> I'm sorry. It's not a Rona cough, y'all. that's a, I've been smoking a lot. <laughs> I've been smoking some weed because my man's been gone. I've been like, fuck it. I'm going to do me. Mm. Okay. <laughs> So with all death penalty cases in California, they are automatically appealed. Unless you like sign something waiving your appeals or whatever. But Celeste's um, sentence was automatically appealed and her appeals team decided to go back to their number one issue with her case, which was the search of her home. Mm-hmm. And then their number two issue was, was her confession. So they believe that the evidence found at her home should have been suppressed because the officers did not have probable cause for the first warrant, which made the second warrant obtained automatically invalid because it was only granted based off of the evidence that they found during the first warrant. Okay, so I'm going to break it down a little bit. If you guys don't remember, Celeste was robbing businesses and stealing checks before she started killing people. And that's what Los Altos police were initially investigating her for. And after having the conversation with the man that got arrested for using checks she stole, remember that guy, they now had probable cause to go search her home. That was the first warrant. Correct. So they found him, arrested him, talked to him. He told him that he got the check from Celeste, automatically... They were able to go. And because they found out that Celeste was working at this previous place, they were building a case against her. And they had her on record saying that she stole. (laughs) Not to mention the recording. Okay. Yeah. But Celeste's team had a rebuttal. They said that it was unreasonable to believe that the checks were located at her house because at the time of the search, which was two whole months after the Blackbird burglary. They didn't think that it was probable to believe that she still had the checks in her home. So they basically felt like it wasn't justified to think that after 2 months after burglarizing, you know, the blackguard facility that she would still have the checks that she stole from there. Well, that kind of makes sense I because mean, up I, to I think you can't cash checks <laughs> after 14 days of them being, you know, written, right? Some are after 90 Oh okay. So some it just it really depends because especially back in the day you really only dealt with checks and stuff like that and sometimes it took time for checks to get mailed out and stuff so I don't think there was real hardcore set in stone like cash it by this day. Okay, well if that's the case then and eh, next <laughs> they could still be in her household. <laughs> so the officer who wrote the search warrant was already ahead of the game was like I expect an issue like this to arise so when he wrote the search warrant he literally wrote on the affidavit that based on his training and experience quote subjects who steals checks with the intent to commit forgeries will maintain possession of those stolen checks until they can be cashed so basically just because you stole the checks one day doesn't mean you can cash them all the next it takes time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and until then the criminal usually holds on to it And the next thing I'm going to read is straight from the court document. It said, probable cause to search a certain place may be based on reasonable inferences as to where the evidence is probably located. And the most common inference is that the fruits and instrumentalities of a crime will be found in the perpetrator's home. Period. It's like, that's textbook though, bitch. Right. That's textbook. That's common sense. Thank you. I have a lot of questions for her defense team, especially her appeals. I was like, you guys were completely useless. It's it's almost as if she defended herself. I'm going to keep it real. And it also makes me wonder like is this a waste of time? Like to appeal mm-hmm. every single case? Are you serious? Oh yeah, some of them are for sure waste of time, but it's the justice process and everyone has the right to period. You I know? get it. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm upset. Positive. I'm just like this is definitely Potentially can be a waste of time. Oh, yeah. Imagine how much Californians spent on just this trial, which is probably why the taxes are through the roof. I'm getting the fuck out of California (laughs) the way that they tax. (laughs) Celeste's defense team then tried to claim that because the Los Altos police and the Palo Alto police were present when the first warrant was served. Remember, that was in regards to the burglaries only. That alone should have invalidated the warrant but the court fired back and said ah ah outside outside agencies may assist in any warranted search even if they are interested in finding evidence of a crime for which probable cause does not exist oh wow yeah so Law enforcement has law enforcement's back. (laughs) I would say, did they know that? Did the defense know that law before they tried to spew out their mouth what they just said? Kristen, I could have fucking Googled it. They could have literally (laughs) looked in the textbook and saw, oh, we're not going to get away with this one. (laughs) Let's leave that off the docket. That's literally a waste of time. It goes on to say that such a search may, however, become unlawful if the officers from the outside agency search places or things in which the listed evidence could not have been found. Okay. So remember, they were looking for checks and keys and stuff like that in the home. So if you're looking in like, I don't know. the bathroom shower or something like that. It's very unlikely that any of those things would be there. And that's where it would become a problem. Right. But the court said that wasn't the case here. The court said that the Palo Alto officers, quote, did not exceed the scope of the search authorized by the warrant. And in fact, observed Carolyn Gleason's property in plain view. So not even trying to search, bitch, I saw it. So you can't come for (laughs) me on that. Glenn, I see you. It was right there. Like, <laughs> if you haven't seen Talladega Nights, t- 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 pause this and just go watch it. <laughs> Glenn, <laughs> I, see I see you. you. <laughs> okay. And the defense's last Hail Mary, the confession. Celeste felt that her confession was involuntary and therefore should have been suppressed. And just so you guys know, a confession can be suppressed only if it was obtained by means of threats or promises pertaining to sentencing. So if you go up to someone and you say, hey, you know, if you tell us what happened, if you tell us that you killed this person, you'll be able to get a lighter sentence. If that was said, then that's completely inadmissible. Whatever is said after that confession, whatever, inadmissible. Or if you don't tell us, you're going to be in jail for the rest of your life. (laughs) Can't say things like that. If you don't tell us, I'm going to hang you by your fucking toes against this wall and beat you senseless. They're going to literally beat you up <laughs> in jail the minute we put you in. Do you want that? Is your is your butthole loose already? We'll I get knew it ready. She's gonna go for the butthole. Kayla, leave people's anuses alone. I love buttholes. I love them. <laughs> I learned today no bullshit I learned listening to one of my other favorite podcasts. I learned that you have an anus and you have a rectum. Your anus is that little cute hole and then the rectum is inside. <laughs> Guys, Christmas face. And then the rectum the rectum is inside. So when you go to poop, the rectum opens and pushes the poop out and then allow and then closes and then allows your anus to open and let the poop out. Okay, well that was Seriously disgusting. Like, (laughs) the most disgusting thing I've heard since our last, like, two confessions ago. (laughs) Never do that again. Okay, well, it's the truth. And there's nothing cute about a butthole. Well, I think they're dainty and adorable. Get out. Anyway, back to the confession. (laughs) Okay. So here's a little walk through her interrogation and confession. (laughs) (laughs) Like, as Kristen says, Kristen is still... up. <clears throat> I smell something. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so here's a little walk through her interrogation and confession. So she waived her Miranda rights at around 5.15 p.m. on the day of her arrest. She was then told by a Paolo Alto detective that she was arrested for the Los Altos burglaries, but that he wanted to talk to her about the murder of Carolyn Gleason as well. Mm. So, she was aware that she was arrested for the burglaries, but they were th- there to talk to her about some other shit, which happens a lot. Okay. To encourage her to speak freely about what happened, he, and he meaning the detective, suggested that the murder might have just been an accident, and that there might be some mitigating circumstances in regards to the murder. Mm. Which we all know, like, if you watch First 48 at all, you've seen them do this. hmm In this case, the officer said, quote, what if Carolyn scared you? She confronted you. Or maybe there was someone else with you, end quote. So Celeste felt like (laughs) he used these comments to imply a promise. So basically, she says in her mind and basically her defense team's mind, too, because why the fuck would they allow this to even be said if they didn't believe it? The detective implied that Celeste would receive leniency if she admitted that the shooting was accidental or that an accomplice, an accomplice was the shooter. Hmm yeah i don't think it was saying oh you'll receive a lighter sentence i do believe it kind of hints to coercion a bit oh really heck yeah because like i i just see it as a way it doesn't make sense though because it's like why would the prosecuting side try to give Mm. you a way out you know what i'm saying (laughs) by saying well maybe there was someone else but at the same time if that was said by the defense or somebody who was on her side that would have been coercion period wouldn't it not have been no because all he said if this is what he said quote verbatim if he said what if carolyn scared you she confronted you or maybe there was someone else with you. She's saying that that was saying him saying, okay, if you tell me how this right. went down, you will receive leniency. That's not what he did. What he did was say, if you tell me what happened, you could receive leniency. Meaning there may be some type of mitigating factor involved in the killing. But I won't know until you tell me what happened. So that's really just like...
1: I, I mean, a that's fine that,
0: line. I was about to say it's the finest line. It's probably as thin as, you know, a piece of my hair. Like it's very, very small, but I get it. Like, I understand what you're saying, but, and it is kind of a stretch for her to be like, well, they promised me leniency because this is how they was phrasing things. But based yeah. off of how they phrased that, they were really close to getting over that line, but yeah. not close enough. Not close enough. Mm-hmm. Not close enough. But the courts didn't see it that way. Well, the courts saw it the way that we see it, basically. They said that they have consistently ruled that officers may point out to suspects that the punishment for their crime may depend on the role they played in it and their state of mind at the time, which Mm -hmm. is almost exactly what that officer did. Mm -hmm. He was like, you know, well, hey, maybe you weren't, you were just there and somebody else may have done it. These are possibilities. The court said, quote, although such a comment carries an implication that the suspects might be better off if they confessed and explained any mitigating circumstances, such an appeal is not objectionable so long as officers did not promise anything specific. Okay. So essentially the court ruled that the detective didn't do anything unlawful. He behaved appropriately. Right. Remember, Celeste had committed crimes in multiple jurisdictions. So during her questioning, she was not only questioned by Los Altos police or Paulo Alto. She was also questioned by Redwood City in San Carlos. Mm-hmm. After confessing to Carolyn Gleason's murder, she almost immediately confessed to shooting Dr. Alan Marks, but denied killing Victor for some reason. Like, even after they told her that Victor and Carolyn were killed with the same gun, she was still like, oh, no. I don't know. Mm -hmm. As the interview went on, one of the officers told Celeste that he wanted to be able to tell the DA that she'd, quote, helped and assisted the officers in solving the crimes. And after he said that, she confessed to Victor's murder. During her appeal, however, she cited this as an involuntary confession as well, because it occurred toward the end of an eight-hour interrogation session. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The court recognized the effects long interviews can have on a person physically and mentally, so they agreed it was a valid point for her to bring up. Because everything else up is up until now is just like shoot grasping down, at straws. Shoot down, yeah. yeah. But the court went on to say that still, it is seldom a significant factor if the suspect was not particularly vulnerable and if he was given recesses or breaks when requested or when reasonably necessary. Carrington appeared lucid and aware throughout the entire interview session and never asked the police officers to terminate the interview. Hmm. She spoke with confidence and her answers were coherent. Moreover, the police repeatedly offered her food and beverages, provided her with four separate breaks, and allowed her to meet privately with her partner Jackie. Hmm. So she was taken care of. Kristen, they did they were they did right by her big ass. They mm-hmm. really did, you mm-hmm. know? I don't know if she's like a tall beach or whatever, but she looks like she's tall. You know, she has some wisp on her. She's she just like big. a big. She's, she's a big female. She looks girthy. And they, they did. They honestly did right by her. Mm-hmm. Four breaks. Like, bitch, I work an eight hour shift. I don't get four breaks. Period. And she got to see her significant other. So she's coming in, making her feel more at home. The, and the whole you got the person food. that apparently put her in this situation <laughs> to like right. be desperate enough to go out and do all this shit. And you got to not to kill. Nobody asked her to kill. Well, no, no, no. But you know what I mean. She mm-hmm. she was blaming her situation on Jackie, saying even in interrogation, she did say that like I was, you know, in a really shit money situation. I was being yeah. really pressured by my woman to take care of her and her kids and yeah. blah blah blah. So But in a nutshell, her appeals were denied. And she is still on death row in the California State Women's Prison and she is now sixty years old. Wow. So she's been in that beach for thirty years. Just about. Thirty, 30 years. years. Yeah, almost yeah. thirty years. Math is not my friend. Do you know when her um her capital punishment is it capital? Yeah. Definitely. When is that gonna happen? They don't usually tell them their date for a while. Okay. So I'm not sure it wasn't listed anywhere that I could readily find. Okay. but yeah, well, Mm -hmm. I'll have to say that's the first time we really went in depth in an appeal. Yeah, I really like that, though, because you get to see like all the different things that happened after the initial trial to try Mm -hmm. to appeal a decision or help that person out in any way, shape or form. So in that way, it's like, okay, so the first trial, yeah, that's detrimental, but you still have chances after that to try to prove your innocence. And for Carrington, it was just apparent. You did it. Yeah, bitch. It was like, like, come on. Let's, let's not, let's not pull each other's legs here. Right. So that's our case for this week, you guys. There wasn't... I know you're probably looking like, Beach, where is any information about the victims? And when I tell you I could not find any, I just fucking could not. Even when I was looking through the court documents and stuff, I couldn't even find the names of their family members to, you know, dig even further. So all we can really do is just pray that... uh they're healing. They've been able to move past the horrible experiences in their lives. And all we can do is respect the victims that we, that we know were in this case. I don't all have right. any pictures of them, but rest in peace, Victor. Rest in peace, Carolyn. And Alan Marks is actually still practicing. He is a practicing pediatrician, um, out in Florida. Wow. I lied. He's still in Cali, actually. He's still in Cali. So good for him. Old ass white man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for continuing to live your life despite what you've been through absolutely so yeah that's all we have for you guys today can we talk about this wig okay because i was like when are we gonna talk about it are kristen's wig it? is stiff the fuck wear one are we gonna talk about two it? i think it's synthetic I'm it absolutely some- is i'm literally about to flip the table it has <laughs> hella body it's beautiful it's not even a lace Nope. I don't have time for none of that. I'd rather deal with my own hair if I'm doing a lace front. She's giving 35 and three kids in. No, I'm giving 28 with (laughs) a man who pays my bills and maybe (laughs) a kid at home. Oh God. (laughs) Definitely, definitely giving mother vibes. Slash Auntie. I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I literally, y'all, I got this wig for $38 at the beauty supply. Don't think it takes much to be cute. It doesn't. (laughs) I got this fake-ass ponytail for $17 at my local store. So, And that's it. Make it do what it do for you. Do what it do. Yeah. So thanks, guys, for all (laughs) the love, and, and we'll see you soon. Yes. And don't forget to be safe. Protect your, protect your peace, peace and, and protect, protect your space. space. Kristen's Bye. still getting used to it. Bye, guys! <laughs> you have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.